Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. They carefully instructed the messenger to ask the father if he recognized the coat as Joseph's coat or not. So they told the messenger, you tell the father, they don't know what happened to Joseph. Don't know. Just found this coat. You tell the messenger to tell the father, they don't know if this is really Joseph's coat or not. They don't know. They told the messenger, lies, lies, lies. And the brothers, they visualized how their father would grab the coat and examine every thread that he meticulously sewed into that coat and how the father would go over every laceration on how that coat was, was shredded, and every bit of blood, every drop of blood that was, was on that coat, and they think, this is the final remains of my son. This is the final remains of my son. This is his blood. And the brothers must have known how their father would cling to that coat as his only remembrance of his favorite son, Joseph. It's amazing to think that as the brothers were going over with the messenger what to say, how to say it, that they must have thought that all this was going to stab their father in his heart. They must have known that. How could the brothers do this to their father? I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 explains the only explanation for how they could do it when it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What they're doing here can only come from a very deceitful heart, from a heart that are desperately wicked. Their hearts had deceived themselves into a state of hardened blindness, and so they could carry out with this plan. But there's something they said about Joseph in verse 32. How did they refer to Joseph's coat? How did the brothers refer to Joseph's coat? Verse 32. Thy son's coat. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange that they didn't say, our brother's coat? Okay, that's too much. How about Joseph's coat? But thy son's coat. You know, by not calling it our brother's coat, by not calling it Joseph's coat, it shows that they had already disowned Joseph as their brother. That's very significant. So off the messenger goes, and he did exactly what he was told to do, and he said exactly what he was told to say, just exactly as he was instructed. And when we see in verse 32 that it it doesn't say they sent the coat, it doesn't say that, it sent the coat. See, verse 32 says, they sent the coat of many colors. And we see an emphasis again on the fact that the coat was a coat of many colors. You know, only there was, at this point, one extra color. One extra color on this coat. You know what it was? Blood red. (laughs) Yeah, blood red. Blood red was all over the coat of many colors. 
That's kind of interesting. Because when you think about it, that one of the very essential features of the tabernacle were colors. There's the color of heavenly blue, which speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as God. He came from heaven to earth. As he said in John 6.51, John 6.51, I am the living red which came down from heaven. And next, there was the color of pure white, which speaks of the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 8.46, John 8.46, which of you convinceth me of sin? And then third, there was the color of royal purple, royal purple, which speaks of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 18.37, John 18.37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. Now these are the colors of the tabernacle, which were like the colors on Joseph's coat. And we can think of all those colors on Joseph's coat that Jacob made when he made that coat for Joseph. And that's how we can think of the colors in the tabernacle, the heavenly blue, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the pure white, the purity, the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the royal purple, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can think of those as the original colors of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is how he has been for all eternity, God, pure or holy, king of the universe. Now, just as we can think of the original colors in Joseph's coat as Jacob made it for him, but now as Jacob holds this coat, there's an additional color. There's the blood red of the blood, which spoke to Jacob of the blood of Joseph. And so it was with the Lord Jesus Christ that in addition to the heavenly blue, the pure white, the royal purple in the tabernacle, there's an additional color. There's an additional color, the scarlet, the blood red in the tabernacle, which speaks of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as we see him in Revelation 5, 6. Revelation 5, 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. The Lord Jesus Christ is seen in heaven today as a lamb as it had been slain. How does a lamb look as it had been slain? Bloody, with blood on his fleece. So there's this additional color of the blood red in the tabernacle. Speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great sacrifice. Now, the next verse gives us Jacob's response when he sees the coat in verse 33. It says, he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. So what we see in verse 33, that as soon as Jacob sees the coat, he knew it. We can feel the passion in these words. You know, it says he knew the coat. That means he scrutinized every inch of the coat, and he knew the coat. That means he remembered making the coat. He remembered how happy he was on the day that he gave the coat to Joseph. He remembered how happy he was when Joseph first wore that coat, how happy he was every time he saw Joseph wear that coat. And all that's emphasized in this words, he knew it. And it reminds us of how God the Father looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and was so happy with him at his baptism when God's voice came through the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is what the coat said to everyone who saw Joseph. Oh, there's Joseph. He is Jacob's beloved son. Oh, don't you know? Jacob made that coat for him, that beautiful coat. And then when God the Father heard the voice of his son cry out 
as recorded for us from the cross and is predicted in Psalm 22.1. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father knew the voice of God the Son. He knew that voice. And just as Jacob looked at the blood-stained coat of Joseph and knew it was his son's, although it wasn't, but that didn't matter, that reminds us of when God the Father looked at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing from his body. He knew it. He knew that blood. And then Jacob speaks in verse 33, and he says, it is my son's coat. Now, the very best way to imagine with all the passion how Jacob said that is to put a pause. Put a pause between it is and my son's coat. So it comes out, it is my son's coat. That's the way we can see Jacob with his beating heart, his legs now trembling, giving out from holding him up, the wringing of his hands, the tears flowing from his eyes, and his speech that is stuttering. You know, it reminds me, over 25 years ago, we had a scientist working at Scantibodies, a very unstable person, and I had a friend who, uh, who knew him and worked with him at uh, the company he worked with before coming to us. And as I said, this scientist was working for us, very unstable. He went home one night, took a revolver, killed his wife, killed his son, killed his dog, and then killed himself. And so I called my friend, and when I told him what happened to him, my friend just wailed loudly on the phone. He cried uncontrollably. He couldn't talk to me on the phone. That's how I imagine Jacob was when he got this coat. And that was just not one outburst of emotion here for Jacob. This grief remained in Jacob as he looked at this coat day after day. And he thought about it. And he dreamed about it. And Jacob, could, when he's thinking about it, dreaming about it, Jacob would see those wild beasts attacking his son. And Joseph pitifully holding up his hands, trying to defend himself from these wild animals. And then, and then Jacob would hear Joseph just scream in desperation for help and see that lion sucking Joseph's blood. And then he'd see his dear son Joseph being torn apart from limb to limb and animals eating his flesh and his muscles and his organs. And then came the vultures that would carry the parts of Joseph far away to some nest of some baby birds. And you can see how these thoughts would haunt Jacob. And therefore, he says twice, once in the middle of verse 33, he talks about how an evil beast has devoured Joseph. And then at the end of verse 33, he says, Joseph is rent in pieces. So Jacob is looking at each laceration in Joseph's coat. And we can imagine that he's saying, oh, this was the teeth. This was the claws that went through there to Joseph and the blood that came out. I'm holding in my hand Joseph's blood. I mean, this is amazing. This is pretty amazing. And what's so amazing to us is that Jacob really didn't know. I mean, all that really, he thought all that really happened didn't really happen. But he's 100% sure that, how do you know he's 100% sure? Where are the two words in verse 33 that tell you he's 100% sure this is what happened? You got to look at the verse. Verse 33, there are two words in there that says, there's no question in his mind, without doubt, without doubt you get the prize, <laughs> without doubt. This is amazing. It didn't happen, but no, no, no. There was without doubt. Jacob said, without doubt. Jacob believed, without doubt, that Joseph was torn in pieces, without doubt. There was no question about it. 
in Jacob's mind. Jacob should have doubted. Jacob should have questioned. Why should, why should Jacob have doubted that this was all true? Why should Jacob have questioned that this may not be true? What were some questions that Jacob should have asked to doubt this report about what really happened to Joseph? What were some? What were some things that were a little fishy here? One I never even thought of. That's good. This was not in alignment with dreams that he had reported. Okay, should be fishy. Great, thank you. Okay, how about some other ones that I thought of? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) He knew he was dealing with here. Why? Because he'd watched them lie before to the Shechemites. Just become circumcised, we'll become one. He watched treachery and lies. He watched how these boys sleep. These boys have a pillow of lies. They put their head on a pillow of lies at night. He knew that. So the second question, the first question is, as Clinton pointed out, first question is, hmm, this doesn't square with the dreams. Second question is, why should I believe my sons? They've kind of been known to tell a lie or two. <laughs> okay, what's another, something else fishy about all this that he should have recognized? Why a messenger and not my sons? Was something so important, why do you send a messenger to tell me? That's fishy. What another one? You just found the coat in the field, nothing around it. How could a person be ripped apart and there's nothing there except the coat? That's fishy. Another one? Mentioned it before. How come you call this thy son's coat? Why isn't this Joseph's coat? And the last one, there's just something a little fishy about all this comfort. Why does their comfort just kind of seem so disingenuous to me? See, those are questions that Jacob should have asked to cause him to doubt that Joseph really was destroyed by an evil beast. But Jacob has no question at all. He says, without doubt. Jacob said, without doubt, when he should have doubted. And that's amazing to us to see Jacob say, without doubt. Jacob had no question about it when he said, without doubt. Jacob did not question when he should have questioned, and that's amazing that he says without doubt. He should have doubted, but he says without doubt. And just as amazed are we when we see Jacob say without doubt and never question what he should have questioned. Just as amazing as that today, when we see people today who should doubt and who should question, but they say without doubt. They say without doubt. Case is closed. What am I talking about? Without doubt. There's no creation. There's only evolution. Without doubt, there's no creator. There's no God. Without doubt, there's no life after death. There's no waking up after death. There's only annihilation after death. There's no resurrection of the dead. Without doubt, there are no records of my sins. Without doubt, there's no requirement for me to give an account of my life to God after I die. Without doubt, there's no judgment after death. Without doubt, there's no punishment after life. Without doubt, there's no hell. Without doubt, there's no being cast into hell. Without doubt, the Bible is not literally true. Without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God. Or if you're Jewish, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God, and he's certainly not the Messiah. See, all these things people believe without doubt, and there's no question at all about it in their mind. But they should have doubts, just like Jacob. They should have questions about all these things, just like Jacob. 
Just like Jacob in verse 33 who said, without doubt, and he had no questions about the report. Jacob should have doubted. He should have had questions about the report about Joseph. Our whole ministry at the Creation and Earth History Museum is to raise doubts and questions in the minds of those who say, without doubt, there's no creation, but there's only evolution. Without doubt, there's no creator. Without doubt, there's no God. They should doubt. They should question all those things because they're not true. And just like Jacob, they should doubt and question what was not true without doubt about. Most of the Jewish people say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God. He's not the Messiah. They should doubt that. They should doubt that Jesus Christ is not God. They should doubt that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And they say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God and and not the Messiah. Why? Because the rabbis tell them that. Well, they should question the rabbis. Our whole ministry at Israel Restoration Ministries is to raise doubts, is to raise questions in the minds of Jewish people who say, without doubt, Jesus Christ is not God and not the Messiah. We're not trying to convert the Jewish people. We're trying to make them curious. (laughs) We're trying to make them doubt. We're trying to make them question what they should doubt, what they should question because it's not true. Now, the question is, why do people say today, without doubt? They say, without doubt, no creation. Without doubt, no creator. Without doubt, no God. Without doubt, no life after death. No judgment, no hell. Why do people say without doubt about all those positions that they should question, that they should doubt? People today say without doubt what they should question and what they should doubt because they're terrified at the thought of being exposed and vulnerable. So what do they do? They build themselves a special shelter. They make for themselves a hiding place. The Bible talks about that shelter. The Bible talks about that hiding place in Isaiah 28, 15. Isaiah 28, 15. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, are we at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood, have we hid ourselves? See, the Bible calls the shelter that they've made a refuge of lies. And the Bible calls where they've hidden themselves a hiding place of falsehood. People today ought to say, without doubt, the Bible is true. But instead they say, without doubt, lies and falsehoods are true. Now, when we read in the next verse here that Jacob, what he did in verse 34 It says, Jacob ran his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. So here we see Jacob. He now rents his clothes. And you have to follow this from verse 33, the end of verse 33, because at the beginning of this verse, 33, he sees the coat. He knows it. He sees the coat. He sees the coat is rent. It's lacerated in pieces. Then at the end of verse 33, Jacob says, Joseph is without doubt rented pieces. Jacob concludes from the lacerated coat that Joseph is lacerated into pieces, and then Jacob takes his clothes and lacerates them to pieces. He plunges into the state of mourning for Joseph. And we read that Jacob mourned for his son many days, which shows that Jacob really plunged into a state of despairing grief. You know, there's a difference. There's a grief and then there's a despairing grief. And now we know that it's going to be 22 years before Jacob is going to find out what really happened, and he's going to see Joseph again. 
And it's not unreasonable to assume that all during those 22 years that Jacob was in this state of despairing grief. But now we read the response of the family to the grief in verse 35. Verse 35, all his sons, all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I'll go down to the grave and to my son mourning, thus his father wept for him. So verse 35 tells us that all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. Kind of surprising we see all his daughters. We only knew about one. Well, we don't have to know about all of them. But anyway, her name was Dina. And so, you know, we thought, well, okay, that was the only one of Jacob's daughters. He only had one. But okay, maybe so maybe he had more daughters. They didn't tell us. They didn't have to tell us. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Or maybe it's talking about his daughters-in-law. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter the all his daughters. But what does matter is the next part, is the part, all his sons. All his sons. Can you imagine that? All his sons rose up to comfort him. That's amazing. That's amazing to us. The sons are the criminals. Okay. They're trying to comfort Jacob. How horrible is this for us to see? The criminals have become the comforters. How could the sons of Jacob come close to their father that they just stabbed in the heart and now try to comfort him? How could they move so close to Jacob to comfort him and see this despairing grief of their father? They caused it. How could they not break down in repentance and contrition? Now, what do you think the sons of Jacob said to Jacob to try to comfort him? What do you think? What could they say? Yeah. He would go, that puts me into more grief. (laughs) Did you have to remind me of that? (laughs) But you're right. They'd say, well, you lost one out of 12. You still got 11. (laughs) Okay, what else? Clinton, you were going to say? Okay. You had one favorite wife. We know. Rachel, she had two sons. We know. You still got one. Okay, same thing. You know, it's okay, Dad. Time will heal this. This also shall come to pass. You'll forget about Joseph. It's okay, Dad. You still have all of us. It's okay, Dad. We still love you. (laughs) Keep in mind that if they still love Jacob, they're the very ones who caused all this grief to him. And you can be sure that Jacob remembered every word they said to him when they tried to comfort him, and all those words of that phony comfort would come back to Jacob 22 years later when he realized, it was my sons who did this to me. They lied to me about Joseph being eaten by a wild beast. But at that time, when Jacob's sons talked to Jacob and tried to comfort him, you think their words really were a comfort to Jacob? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) You know, those were empty words. Those were empty words with no comfort at all. How could they comfort him when they were the cause of his grief? Their comfort probably made Jacob feel the more horrible so that after listening to all his sons, he could have said the very same words of Job in Job 16.2. Job 16.2, I have heard many such things, miserable comforters. (laughs) Are you all? (laughs) This, this thing that they're doing here is a cruelty to Jacob. Jacob. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page history of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.